The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're here to worship with us. And I'm very excited about what we keep seeing happening around the church through you guys. Just very thankful. Uh, we, if you remember, we started this year with just a week of prayer, just asking God to move and work. And at staff meeting this week, we just keep recounting ways that we've seen God uh, continue to move. Very thankful for that. Um, last week, we invited anybody to come up and pray after services. We're going to do that again today. Uh, we just are really seeing God answering prayers. So um, we had over 50 people come up. And um, again, the people coming up for prayer are the wise ones, right? They're not the uh, losers here. They're the ones that just really know they need God's power and God's love. And so um, we'd love to do that. So we'll have, I'll be up here and we'll have some leaders and um, uh, pastors up here to pray with you. So we're just really seeing God move. Last week, I thought Doug Fern did a great job just bringing God's word to us too. And um, one thing he encouraged us to do was for every one of us to think of a friend of ours who we weren't sure if they knew Jesus or not and really pray for them and pray for a chance to share with them. And we've heard some good stories of people that had a chance to do that this week. Very exciting. One, a college student. Um, one, um, a woman on hospice care right now is 96 years old and just put her faith in Christ this week. Like, those, kind of, those, are, those are awesome stories. So I'm just very excited about what God's doing. Really glad you're here with us today, too. Um, we did a, uh, after we did the week on prayer, we did five weeks on eternity, and we looked at what the Bible had to say about heaven and about the future, and that if we're in Christ, what are our bodies going to look like when we rise again from the dead, and all of that is really exciting. And so we're done with those five weeks. Now we're doing a series called What Matters Most. And I think it's going to fit in great. We've just been talking about eternity. We've just been talking about living this life. You know, our lives now are just like a blip. They're here and gone, especially in light of eternity. So when you look at how should I live my life now, we want to make sure we're living for what really matters the most. And what we're going to look at is John chapter 13 through 17 over these seven weeks. And uh, that's the passage in the Bible where Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples, it leads right up to uh, Easter. It leads right up to, in fact, just hours after this passage of Scripture, Jesus is arrested, and then he's put on trial, he's crucified, then he raises again from the dead. So these topics that Jesus talks about with his team from chapters 13 to 17 are by far the most profound truths that have ever been shared at a team meeting. In fact, if you look historically, this is... This is Jesus' team. There's 12 disciples are right there celebrating this meal with them, and he's teaching them what they're going to need to know to spread the message of who he is and of what he's done. And it's pretty remarkable if you consider these. Well, Judas took himself out. Okay, so these 11 guys then, with the teaching of Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, have done some astonishing things that far... Uh, transcend what human beings can do. In fact, these guys were described as average, ordinary, and uneducated men. So like you look around at us and go, well, we qualify then. Like we, we could be a part of that. And that's exactly why we're looking at it is because the things that Jesus taught these guys are things that he wants to teach us as well, things that he would love to see in our lives. And these seven, seven essential elements of a movement of Christ, what matters most, are the things that when they step into our relationships, and our marriages and our families, they just transform them. And, and when you see these qualities lived out in a church, you see God really move through that church, and you see the gospel really goes out 
to that community and all throughout the world. So, in fact, if this is an average day, over 100,000 people all around the world will begin to follow Jesus Christ. And everywhere the gospel has spread, throughout all of history or even today, it's interesting, of the 10 top fastest growing countries where the gospel is spreading the quickest per capita, those countries include places like Nepal, China, Saudi Arabia. A lot of them are in um, the Middle East and North Africa. If this is an average day, 16,000 Muslims are going to start following Jesus Christ in the continent of Africa alone. And so throughout history, the gospel is moving in these days in unprecedented ways. But wherever the gospel has moved, you're going to see these seven qualities that Jesus laid out with his team. Very prominent, very present. And what's exciting, again, I want to say it again, this isn't just a history lesson. Like, okay, well, that's interesting. That's what he taught them. Jesus wants us around this table too. He wants us in this conversation so that these things are also in our lives uh, so that he can show up in profound ways. So the first of these essential elements we're going to talk about today is from John 13, and it's going to be the call for us to serve, to serve. Okay, so let me pray. Uh, because this isn't where our hearts normally go. It's like, yeah, I want to serve. Like, our hearts don't go there. So we're going to need God to move us uh, in order for him to work in us. So let me pray, and we'll look at John 13 together. Uh, Jesus, thank you for what you are doing uh, in this church. I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this movement, and just that I can look through each service and just see people that are loving you and following you, and that you're using them. I just, I thank you for that. And I Thank you for these words we're to study now, Jesus, that you're going to teach us the secret and, and, and the key to living as servants. Just like you have served us, you're going to call us to serve each other and to serve this community. So show us how to do that well and help us to learn, not just to put it in our heads, but to change our lives. Transform us today, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John chapter 13, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline there you can follow along with as well. So in John chapter 13, like I mentioned, Jesus is having the Passover feast with his disciples. And so the food has been prepared. The room is all set up. Um, the guys are all around the table and they're ready to eat. And then Jesus does something that was very astonishing in that culture. So we'll pick it up in John 13, verse 3. It says that Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, typically um, in this setting, again, first of all, just to back it up a little bit, to wash feet um, was a necessity there. We think, you know, we have shoes, we have socks. Um, a lot of our streets are paved. We have sidewalks, we have driveways. In Jesus' day, if you traveled around, you were most likely walking on some uh, dirt roads. Um, the people in Haiti, heading to Haiti this week, may see some of those kind of conditions. Or I've been in southern Sudan, I've seen those kind of conditions. And most of the footwear at that time would have been sandals. And so your feet tended to get dirty. And that's a big deal at a mealtime because their tables were different than ours. It's not like they sat in a chair, here's a table, and the feet are kind of hidden underneath. Like if you have smelly feet at lunch today, you might be able to get away with that because your feet are kind of removed a little bit from everybody's noses, right? But in this day, they didn't have chairs. They had table. The tables would have been like a foot or two off the ground. There would have been some pillows around. And so sometimes you'll see the phrase in the Bible where it says they reclined at table 
together, describing a meal as reclining at a table, basically you would lean on a pillow with one elbow and then kind of lay on your side and your feet would go out. So your feet are kind of exposed, okay? And if you got bad feet and you got smelly feet, that's kind of wafting over. You're going to kind of ruin everybody's meal, okay? So it was a big deal to have your feet cleaned. And in most homes, um, in the average home, there might have been a basin there by the door where you would be able to do that for yourself. It would be in a wealthier home where there may be a servant there to do that for you. And in Jewish culture, many elements of it, they would prefer that that not be a fellow Jew. It was such a degrading job that they would prefer that to be a Gentile who would actually be the one to come alongside and wash feet. And so it needed to be done. Um, and it wasn't rude that any of the disciples didn't do this. They just, you wouldn't have thought of that. You would have just, oh, I'll do my own, or I guess I can get by. I'm not that bad today, or whatever. So you would just go sit down. But what was astonishing is that Jesus got up and did this, that he took the basin, that he took on the, the garb of a servant, and that he went around to start washing feet. They're gonna, they refer to him in this passage as their Lord and their teacher, and they're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? So they were astonished at what he's doing. What we're going to see throughout this text is Jesus is saying, okay, one of the hallmarks of this movement, if you're going to be on Team Jesus, if you're going to follow me and we're going to be a part of this movement that's getting out, it's got to be known from the start. It's interesting, out of all the lessons he taught them, the first one is very profound in that if you are the leader, you are going to serve. Like if here is the one who is Lord and teacher, and he is going to be known as the one who serves the rest of the team. And, and that's totally different than the way it is in the world. That the greater your title in the world, it means the more you're able to boss people around, right? And they're there for you. You're not there for them. And Jesus said, you know what? We're going to do this completely different. That whoever's got that big name, that big title, and uh, in, in our context, who would that be? You know, is that if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, or just the different ways in this community, you look at who's, who's at the top, Usually it's salary, usually it's education, usually it's your job, your, you know, whatever it is, or what you look like, or, or what you drive, or where you live. Like whatever it is we use to kind of wiggle our way up to the top of the stack. Jesus says, you know what, if you're at the top, the way you're going to show you're at the top is you're going to serve. And then the higher you get in this, in this movement, you're going to be known more and more for serving, not for being served. So that, that alone is astonishing. Okay, and he's making, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but that's, Jesus says, that's what we're going to be known for. And everywhere you look throughout history, throughout the world today, the reason the gospel is going out is because people are not living for themselves. They're not waiting to be served, but they're giving their lives. They're giving their time. They're giving their money so that others can find Christ. That's, that's the DNA of an authentic movement of Jesus' followers. Okay, so he showed them that. But there was a deeper thing he wanted them to see, too. And it's interesting. If you know these disciples, if you've read the Bible much, um, there's one guy that always seemed to, to kind of go against the grain a little bit, and that's Peter. So you would expect something's going to happen. If Jesus is washing everybody's feet, and he gets around to Peter, you say, okay, this isn't going to be just normal. Something's going to happen here. And sure enough, Peter stands up. This is John 13, 8. Peter stands up and says, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. No way. You're not washing my feet. And so Peter was notorious for this. He had uh, foot and mouth disease. He was constantly, you know, speaking out before he would think. And, but I understand him here. I, we might have done the same thing. Like, Jesus, this is wrong. What, I should be washing your feet. What are you doing washing my feet? And so in this case, I kind of get it. I would have felt really awkward to have Jesus come 
and wash my feet. So he's standing up. He's the first guy that had the courage to protest. They go, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Look what Jesus said to him. This is astonishing. Jesus answers him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Whoa. Like, Jesus is getting after something else here. If Jesus was just saying, hey, Peter, just go along with it. It's an illustration. I'm just trying to show everybody we're supposed to serve each other, okay? So just get down and just go with the program. He, he doesn't go there. Where he goes is, Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't have a share with me. The word share was profound. It was used in family contexts where if somebody was going to receive an inheritance, that you had a share in that family, you had a share in that inheritance. And so Jesus is using a pretty strong word here. Peter, if I don't wash you, you can't even be a part of me. You can't be a part of this movement. We can't be in relationship. Something's going deeper here than just washing feet. And so what, what, what you see and what, came, you know, what was unfolded to these disciples over the next couple days when they saw Jesus on the cross, they realized not only was Jesus sent to wash our feet, dirty feet, but Jesus was really sent to wash our dirty souls. Because there was something that stunk in this team more than their feet. Okay, this, this group of guys, if you um, look at the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus told them, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again from the dead. So they're going. That's, that's Jesus' mission. He knows he's coming. He's come to earth to die to set us free from sin. But they don't get it. Like, in fact, the most, the most frequent conversation the disciples have, instead of like, oh, what's Jesus doing? What's going on here? Their, their most frequent conversation is, which one of them was the greatest? In fact, one time in Mark 9, you get the impression Jesus is walking ahead of them. And they're all like, kind of, he can tell there's squabbling back there. Maybe like a parent driving and something's going on in the back seat. And you pull the car over and go, okay, what's going on back here? Jesus says, okay, what's, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they're all like, eh, well, you know, like nobody's saying anything. And Mark's comment was they didn't say anything because they were fighting about which one of them was the greatest, okay? And then in Mark chapter 10, it gets even creepier. Uh, one of the moms steps in and says, okay, hey, Jesus, look, she thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom, not get crucified. So he said, when you get in there and you set up your kingdom, are you okay if my boys, James and John, get to be, you know, at your right and left hand, like, this is getting really awkward, okay? And so while she's there self-promoting her kids, the other 10, Mark lets us know, are indignant. They're mad, like, oh, what do they think they're doing? Like, who do they think they are to be up there? So they're just, you know, what smelled worse on this team, uh, worse than smelly feet, was that these guys were living with selfishness. These guys were living in pride. And, and Jesus said, Peter, you know what? If I don't wash you, you can't be a part of me. I love how C.S. Lewis describes pride, the sin of pride. He'll say that the sin of pride is at the core of every other sin. That'd be an interesting one to study through sometime. If you think of every sin in the Bible, it starts at the core with pride, that we want to do our thing instead of God's thing, that, that we think we've got it down and that God doesn't. And what's especially dangerous about pride is that we've all got it, and we're just not aware of it. Okay, listen to what he said. I love this quote. He said, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular. There is no fault that we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. So we've got it. We're just not aware of it, okay? And then not only that, but um, everybody else can see it. Everybody else can see when we're proud, when we're selfish, except us. And the Bible is really clear. God hates 
pride. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, God said, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5, everybody who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud. That's a, that's a present tense verb. It means God is consistently pushing against the proud. Whenever we are living in pride and just kind of forging through in this life, we are being resisted by, we will not find joy because we are pushed back by the power of the Almighty God. He constantly opposes the proud. And so Jesus says, you know, to be a part of this team and to be able to do what I've just modeled for you of serving each other is that you're going to need to be washed. You're, you're going to need to have your dirty souls cleansed. In Mark 10:45, right in the context of the disciples fighting and the mom there pushing John and James, that's where Jesus said in Mark 10:45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and he gave his life to forgive us of that selfish, prideful bent that we all have, all the times we've sinned against God. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and, and forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, then Jesus, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us. The word there is wash. The same word used in John 13. He will wash us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus you know, is saying, you know what, I'm just washing your feet right now in this feast, but in a couple days you're going to see and begin to understand, I didn't come to this earth just to wash feet. I came to this earth to wash dirty souls and to set you free from sin. So when you look at John 13, we see the value of serving. We see Jesus' example, but you've got to also understand that there's, there's power that Jesus gives you to have your sins forgiven and for you to be set free, to stop living for yourself and to start living for him and for others. First John, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It's like when you understand the gospel, that Jesus has died for you, that sets you free to not just live for yourself, but to live for others. And so that'd be the first thing to settle this morning. You know, if you want to see God, you know, use you, use your life. If you want to be involved in what matters most, through your brief existence on this planet, if you want to see God move into your family, into your marriage, into your relationship, it's got to start there with your sins being forgiven and with you given the power over sin and over pride in your life. And if you have never done that before, you're not sure you've asked Jesus for the gift of salvation, please come up and I would love to pray with you or talk to you right up here this morning or any of the leaders, but don't leave today without being sure that you have this gift that Jesus wants to give you of eternal life and forgiveness of your sins. So, so Jesus makes that example, and then he points us to the cross and the power of being set free from sin. And then uh, I, if you were following your Bible, you'll notice I skipped something in verse 3. So I want to go back to it. Because in, in verse 3, John, um, it's interesting, in, when he's telling the story of Jesus washing feet at Passover, Verse 3, he inserts, uh, a com it's like his commentary here. It's like he shows us what was it that motivated Jesus to serve. And it's really interesting. So John 13, 3, it says that Jesus, 
knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going to God, rose from supper. And then it goes on in verse 4 and 5 to describe that he washed feet. But notice how, how John kind of hit the pause button. He didn't just say, hey, Jesus got up and washed feet, like we read earlier. He said, he stopped and said, now this is, this is what Jesus knew. These things propelled Jesus into serving and giving his life. Look what it says. Let's break it down. There's three of them. It says that he knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. Jesus didn't come to earth because he needed anything. He didn't come here because he needed us to serve him or worship him. He didn't come here to manipulate people to follow him. He had all things. So he was freed not to manipulate, not to use people, but to serve people. It says that he knew he had come from God. So he knew he had a mission. And he made that clear in Mark 10, 45. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He knew his calling. He knew his purpose. This is why I came to earth. And then the last statement there says he knew he was going back to God. And so what's interesting is that I think John inserted that in there, not just so we'd learn about Jesus, but also that when we start living this life of following Jesus and of serving others, okay, what was it that Jesus knew that set him free to serve? And because those are the same things that, that we also can know. So, for example, the Father has given all things into our hands. Just do a study sometime of all the things that God has poured into your life because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So you have power. Or Jesus said, I will give you peace that the world cannot understand. You have peace. I mean, there are so many things that God has poured into your life that once you're in relationship with Christ, you can live your life like he did, that you don't have to go and use people, manipulate people, get people to meet your needs. Your needs have been fully met through Christ. And that frees you, again, not to use people, but to serve people. And Jesus knew that he had come from the Father. He knew he had a mission. The same is true for us, that if we are in relationship with Christ, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Like we have the same mission, the same calling as Jesus Christ. So if you look at your life purpose and this brief life that you live in, in context of all of eternity, this little vapor, the, the Bible calls our lives a vapor, just this little bit of time you're in existence on this planet, what are you here to do? Well, you're here to serve, just like Jesus served. That's your purpose. And then the last thing Jesus knew is that he was returning to the Father. That's where this whole eternal concept comes in too, that our lives are brief, but we know when this life is over, we are in eternity in heaven forever. Just if you missed those Sundays, look back on the video archives on the website. Uh, there's some profound things that the Bible says about what life will be like in heaven. One thing we didn't talk about so much in the Eternity series was the concept of being blessed by God, of being rewarded by God through our, our service. And so what's amazing is that we live in this little speck of time compared to all of eternity. And if we live this life and we serve God for all of eternity, he rewards us. For the, for the service that he empowered us to do. He set us free to do it. He laid out the things for us to do. And yet we still get rewarded. So those three things that motivated Christ, propelled him to serve, are available to you as well in your relationship with Jesus. So, um, and what I want us to wrap up with is this whole goal of Jesus then is to just unleash joyful servants throughout the world. Just people who have met him, who have been set free of living for themselves, that have his example, his power, who know they've been sent by the Father for this, who know they're going to be rewarded for this, 
just unleashed all over the world to go and serve like Jesus served. And so John 13, verses 13 to 17 is kind of Jesus' summary statement. And uh, these guys missed things. He had to repeat things for them, just like we do. He's going to repeat, kind of summarize what he's teaching them. So John 13, 13, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Again, one more time. He uses the words Lord and teacher. I am the leader here. I am the Lord and teacher of this group. Notice that I am serving. Again, Jesus is saying, if your title, the higher your title in my movement, that means the greater you will serve. The, the more you serve is the path to being great in my movement. Okay, so if you're at the top, you're serving. That's, and we're all serving. Notice he also said we serve one another. He didn't just say, and you'll see this next week when we talk about love, that it starts with the team. He didn't just say, okay, all you guys, just get out there and serve everybody, go. He says, first, I want you to serve each other. I want you to meet each other's needs. And so as we look at that too, my encouragement to you is, are you in a context of relationships with other believers where you are serving them? Jesus knows we will need that to serve him effectively. We will need others around us. And so you've heard over the last couple of years, we keep talking about community groups. Our goal would be that at least 80% of Parkview regular attenders are in some form of group where you are in relationship with others and they know you and they're serving you and you're serving them. So it's good to catch that. Jesus says, I want you to serve one another and wash one another's feet. And he said, I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done for you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay? So when Jesus gives us a command, there's a couple reasons why he's doing that. One is, it's because it's not something we normally do. He'll give us a command. We don't normally serve. Our normal desire is to serve ourselves and have other people serve us. Jesus says, no, it's going to be different here. You're going to serve each other. But then that second point is, he gives us a command because he wants to give us joy. Remember, Jesus said, I came to this earth, not um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and life to the full. Jesus says, I came to, to fulfill your life, to give you joy. To, when Jesus says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. The word blessed meant happy, fulfilled, satisfied, joyful. So when Jesus gives us a command, it's to, it's to bring joy into our life. And Jesus says, you want to find the way to just really be excited and joyful and happy in this life. You give your life for others, not living for yourself, but you give your life for others. So those were the main points that he, he laid out there with him. And what's really amazing, and I've given you um, passages to look at in your notes under for further study, but Jesus just totally transformed this team of guys. Remember, they were fighting and who's the greatest. Um, then he teaches them this lesson. The next day, he models for them what he meant. He died on the cross. They um, saw that or heard that. He rose again from the dead, lived with them 40 more days. Then he ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about all this in the weeks to come. He sent the Holy Spirit, and then something radically different happened in these guys and the way that they lived. They weren't fighting. They weren't disjointed, um, but they were, they were united with each other. Let me just read a couple verses from the book of Acts. So again, just months after this time in, in the upper room with Jesus celebrating the Passover, uh, Acts 2.43, it says, all the believers were together and they had all things in common. 
or Acts 4.32 says, Now the full number who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one... Uh, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So just totally different. In fact, when you read through Acts, you'll see that people were continually drawn to this movement. They were drawn to Jesus by the way these people were loving each other and caring for each other and meeting each other's needs. In fact, in Jesus' day, and when the gospel was launching out, the church was starting, the doctrine, the beliefs, the truths of these new Christians, the things we believe, were incredibly radical. There's one God. Everybody's like, whoa, what are you talking about? There's not just one God. Or, oh, and our Savior was crucified and he died on a cross. They're going to go like, I don't want any part of a movement like that. And so the initial teachings would not have been a draw to the people in Jesus' day. But when they saw people living sacrificially and serving each other and sharing what they had and meeting needs, that made people look twice. Now, wait, what is it you say you believe again? And then they listen, and then they put their faith in Christ. In fact, the gospel just spread uh, dramatically in those first centuries, starting from the church there in Jerusalem. In fact, you can look through different historians talking about the way the gospel moved out and how it moved out. Um, some different things that the early church did that was so radically different than their culture. Christians living sacrificially just revolutionized their societies. Here's some examples. The early church had a fund that supported widows and orphans and the disabled. That was unheard of in that time, and yet they would move toward those in great need and meet their needs. Uh, there was an um, emperor named Julian who was so, he just hated Christians. If he couldn't put this down, but there was a time when, when plagues, uh, a plague had moved into a city, and a lot of the you know, people in his country were just leaving family members, and yet the Christians were moving in and serving, a lot of them even losing their lives, serving these people with the plague. And he said, these impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, relieve both their own poor and ours. It's shameful that ours should be so destitute of our assistance. So he's basically saying, we're put to shame by how these Christians are moving in and meeting the needs of our own people. There was a guy in Constantine's army, a soldier named Pacomius, and he himself was moved when he saw Christians coming in and serving his soldiers in his platoon or whatever they called them in that time. And his own people were sick and there was a famine at that time. And he saw Christians moving in and caring for his soldiers and feeding them, even though they were in many ways being persecuted by his soldiers. And he was so moved by that. And it caused him to be curious about what kind of doctrine would inspire these people to live this way. And as he studied it, he himself became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so again, I'm going to say that wherever you see the gospel of Jesus moving throughout this world, and today it's moving at historically high times, it's going to be because people are laying down their lives. They're doing the very thing that Jesus taught in John chapter 13. And again, this is what Jesus is inviting all of us into. This isn't a history lesson. Like, oh, isn't that cool that Jesus did that back then? He's saying, no, I want you around the table. I want you learning this lesson, and I want you living this out. And I just praise God um, yesterday for Valentine's Day. I've got two girls in high school and a son in sixth grade. It's getting harder to like, get everybody around. You know, so we did a middle-of-the-day Valentine's party, and so um, there were some cheesy elements to it they would probably tell you. But one thing we did was we went around the table and said, what are some examples of the way you have seen people serve us or love us. Um, and it was, what was really moving for me is how many of the stories they remembered, it wasn't even just for us, but examples of serving or loving. 
is that many of those stories came from within this church. And I was thinking, you know, here I am giving this message this morning, and this is not a church that I need to like, you guys are all messing this up. You need to, like, it's just how encouraging it is to see this happening in so many pockets around here, how there are many examples, again, in every service, in the foyer. I just see, I've just been here a long time. I've seen, and I know stories of how you've laid things down, if it's financial or if it's your family, if it's your time, and you've reached out to people and God has used that. And I can think of almost like even chain events around here. Oh, I remember when this person reached out to this person and then that person met Jesus and now they're helping lead in this ministry. Like that's the beauty of, of what you see in, in a church that's trying to follow Jesus. We're not perfect, but, but I see examples of this all over the place. Um, when Roger and Susie get back from Haiti, the couple you heard about earlier, um, he will not like to talk about himself. But if you ever get a moment for him to share what God has done in his life um, through serving, through, through reaching out to the least of these, um, his daughter Allie is down, living down in Haiti full-time now, working with these orphans. But there was a big season in Roger's life and his family where he and Allie were not on the same page. They were just, they had grown so far apart. And nothing breaks a parent's heart more than than your kid just totally walking away from you and what you try to teach them. And there's a powerful story there of how through serving and through reaching out to orphans, that God has just blessed that relationship. And then you see God using Roger's gifts and his creativity and Allie's heart um, just to do amazing things. And what's cool around a place like this is that it gets contagious. When, when you see one person serving and stepping out, kind of fires you up to do that. Roger's a part of a group of guys that we meet with on Tuesday mornings called Fight Club. There's like 70 guys or so on our email list. And so a lot of guys know of Roger and what he's been going through the last three years. And so I've been getting email updates from Roger and um, sharing them with the guys. Uh, Roger's not able for some reason to reply all. So it has to come to me because of technology in Haiti or something. So last week, uh, he, they had, I think, 30, 30 or so kids come down with typhoid in the orphanage. And Roger was sharing this story how he and Susie had a couple of the kids in their room overnight uh, caring for them. And, and we put that out there. And it was so powerful. Like Roger's example of serving has kind of lit up some other guys. And we've got some physicians in this email list. And guys started popping in like, hey, we got to do something about this. And a pharmacist pops in. I can get us some antibiotics. And a pediatrician steps in and goes, I've already checked with the flights. And this is how you get it through. And and, you know, somebody from the travel clinic kicks in and goes, are you sure it's um, typhoid? It could be this, this, and this. And there's this, like, you know, it's one of those deals where in, like, four hours, there's, like, 30 emails. I'm like, oh, no, I'm praying for Roger. Like, well, I don't know his technology, what he's got in 80, but the next time he opens up his email, it's going to be, I said, God, I just pray, first of all, Roger's just incredibly encouraged that all these people are responding. But just through all that, um, when the team leaves on Wednesday, there's going to be, some antibiotics and some medical supplies going down there. It was just really cool to see people jump into that. And Tuesday when Sheldon, you just heard from him up here, was in the group just kind of sharing the need and saying, hey, we're going to need to raise about an extra $1,000 to get some of this down there. Just on the spot. Again, not in a proud way, but a couple guys are just popping out and you know, you see them writing checks off this side and go here, and there's other guys going like, I don't have a checkbook. Like, how can I? Like, so just just people responding and moving. And again, that's indicative of what I keep seeing throughout this place. But the gospel is going to continue to spread uh, in our families, in our homes, in this church, as we follow Jesus' example of laying down our lives 
uh, for others. And so uh, just praise God for this church. And there's many, you know, sometimes in a church this big, you just don't know where to start. Like, where can I step in? Where can I serve? Um, please talk to somebody in the Connect counter. They would love to get you connected. You know, there's a continual need um, for people working with our children here. Um, there's, a, there's a need you'll see in the bulletin for helping serve communion on Sundays. There's a way you can step in. Um, our whole process of greeting people and bringing them in here constantly needs volunteers. We could use some people if you're hardy and can handle the weather elements. Uh, parking lot people would be a great help. Um, a big one, too, would be to lead community groups. We have our goals to have 60 of them by the end of the year, and we have more and more people wanting in them. So I think some of you guys out there would be amazing at leading a community group. Get a couple friends around you, get trained, and then just start a group that'll be there to care for each other and, and get the gospel on our community. So uh, many ways that you can step in if you're new and don't know where you can jump in. Um, so another one is Friends of International Students. There have been over 400 students linked up with people mostly from Parkview. It's an awesome praise there. There's still 20 uh, male students that need a male uh, friend of an international student. So again, look for that as a chance to serve. But just, and I just praise God for what he's doing. Uh, Nick, why don't you pop up here real quick? We've got to do this fast. So one thing we're going to do is, um, throughout this series, is um, find a way that you can participate in this Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Like, again, when people heard Roger's story, it lit them up to help out. And so throughout this series, we tried to figure out a way that you could be involved in sharing ways that you're seeing God work in your life and ways that you can follow what God's doing with other folks. So that's why, like on the title over there, where it says, what matters most, we didn't just put a pound sign there, like that's hashtag. Like for some of us, that's new turf, okay? So through, uh, through Twitter, through Facebook, um, through Instagram, we're looking for ways that you can uh, chime in on how you're seeing God move. Again, not in a self-promoting way, look at me, serve. Like it's not like that, but just catching evidences of God at work. So Nick, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so it's really cool, just like what Doug said, like this is an opportunity for us to just kind of like showcase like how God has just given us this ability to, to serve him, to glorify God. And what you'll see up on the screen, this is actually my phone. Um, so you can tell by the Eagles app because it's my team I follow. Um, but so what we want to do is just kind of show you guys, like when you go in, you go into your Twitter profile and you're like, hey, you know, I just want to be excited about, um, about serving here at Parkview. And so you just put it in, you type excited about serving at Parkview, Oop, serving, and then you do at Parkview. And then we're just asking you guys put the hashtag in there. And the hashtag is what matters most. And what that, what that hashtag does, like pound signed hashtag, it's what we call it, right? Um, is that's a way for us to link everything together. So if you guys go onto your Facebook or your Twitter feed and you click on that hashtag, what will end up happening is you will see um, everything from that hashtag that people at Parkview Church have been tweeting about. And so we can see right now, like Parkview, like our, our Twitter account for the church has already been tweeting about this. And um, it just connects everybody. You can use this hashtag. Um, you go into your Facebook profile. Um, and let's see here. Oh, there's Southie stuff I've written to my wife because it's Valentine's Day. Um, you can put like um, what matters most up there, the hashtag as well, right? Um, you can just be like really excited about this. Um, and then I can like post a picture. I have a really awkward selfie of me and Doug from the other day, but I won't do that one. Um, but like we could put up like a picture on here and just like 
really excited about this because we're so amped. And like Doug said, like this, this week at Serve, and we're going we're to hit other key topics on what the, what the Gospels and what Jesus calls us to do and, and what really matters most. So we'd ask that you guys just join us with this. If you're not sure how to use Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, you're like, hashtag scare me, that's okay. I still don't understand everything about it either. Um, stop out at the student ministries counter. We'll have uh, students there who know more about this kind of stuff than I could ever hope to. Um, <laughs> Or if you're like, I, I still don't have social media, but I want to get involved, great. Email the church office. Call the church office. They will put it on for you. They'll put it up under the church account. We just want to hear how God is working mightily through the lives here at Parkview and in Iowa City. That's great. Thanks, yeah. Nick. Let me close this here in prayer. So, yeah, God, we want to just do all that for your glory, Jesus. You're the one that showed us how to serve, and you're the one that empowered us to serve by setting us free on the cross. So I just pray you just continue to unleash uh, joyful servants throughout this place that we would serve each other well and that we would serve this community and this world well J jesus just because you and you've done so much for us you have filled us you have set us free with sin and from sin so um, just unleash us to serve you and bring more and more glory to your name thank you in jesus name amen Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.